Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am here with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hello! Hello! And today we are going to get into the Moscow, Idaho murders or the University of Idaho murders that is ongoing right now. You guys, if you have followed this, you've probably seen stuff about it on TikTok, on YouTube, on freaking everywhere, because it's, it's a horrific case so far. And I feel like we're going to find out more very unsettling things. But basically, if you have not heard of this case, this happened on November 13th of 2022. So literally two months ago now, basically. Mm. Four University of Idaho students were fatally stabbed while they were asleep in their off-campus house that they had rented out with two other students as well. And those victims were Madison, Kaylee, Zana, and Ethan. So, and they were all like super young. It was, it's, it's really tragic, honestly. And basically, up until not even what, a week ago, the 30th, from where we are. Yeah. Like maybe a week ago, they made an arrest on an individual who they believe is responsible for these crimes. And after the arrest affidavit was released to the public this morning on January 5th, have to agree with them and it's it's been nuts this this case has been crazy so the reason why we were holding off from the beginning is because this was like how the misinformation and rumors happened with the Gabby Petito case but on steroids there has been so much crazy stuff with this there's literally been a fucking TikTok psychic who was accusing a professor saying she's had a whatever premonition, whatever, mm-hmm. or a vision saying it was, you know, such and such professor. I'm not going to use the person's name and put them through any more fucking shit. Right. That I did see. Like, because I haven't followed, guys, yes. I haven't followed this case. So I'm literally hearing this in real time with you. Yes. So, yeah, basically, like, you know, she was saying it's this, this professor, blah, 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 blah. And literally, it escalated so fucking much that that professor, is suing this lady, which right. as they should, because right. holy fucking crap, like, no, 
I, I don't know why you why people do that shit. But like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Stop it. It's like one thing. Okay, I'm gonna say this. It's like one thing if you're like, I think this person is responsible. Here is my like reason why I saw them outside the house right before the killings. Like, this is why. But to be like on social media platform and be like, I think that this person, there are people who are out there who are real mediums, who are real psychics, and this Mm -hmm. kind of shit makes them less credible. Don't do it. Yep. Yep. Very, very much so. Like, it's so fucking frustrating. And it's just crazy because there's a lot of things that have, you know, every media source wants to be the first with whatever the next finding is on this mm-hmm. case. And it's like that has put out so much misinformation, so much stuff that's not true that it's just like it's it's really hard to cover cases like this because we don't want to contribute in that mm-hmm. way. We don't want to provide any information that's not correct. Obviously, if we ever did, we would let you all know, obviously. But Yeah, so that's why we kind of hung back. And like I said, today's January 5th. His arrest affidavit was released to us because he was found in Pennsylvania. We'll get into all that at his parents' house. And he was extradited back to Idaho and got there. I can't remember if it was like last night or this morning. But anyway, he got there. Obviously, he got served it. And for Idaho law, after that, that's when it can be unsealed for the public. And so here we are. This is why we have it. So basically, I... I'm going to go through it. I'm going to go through most of it. I highlighted most of the stuff in it just to kind of read it word for word for you guys. And yeah, basically, Jess, feel free to interrupt me at any point in time. I shall. Okay. So this was written up by Brett Payne. Brett Payne, who is duly appointed a qualified and acting peace officer within the county. Brett is employed with the Moscow Police Department in the official capacity or position of corporal and has been a trained and qualified peace officer for over four years. So there you go. And he is being assisted by members of the Idaho State Police and agents of the FBI. So on November 13th, 2022, at approximately 4 p.m., Moscow Police Department MPD, Sergeant Blaker and I responded to 1122 King Road, Moscow, Idaho. Hereafter, King Road residents to assist with scene security and processing of a crime scene associated with four homicides. Upon our arrival, the Idaho State Police ISP forensic team was on the scene and was preparing to begin processing of the scene. MPD officer Smith, one of the initial responding officers to the incident, advised he would walk me through. So they're walking through, you know, and taking a look at everything and they go to the second floor. And this would lead to where Zana's room was. And he states, just before this room, there was a bathroom door on the south wall of the hallway. As I approach the room, I see a body, later identified as Zana's, laying on the floor. She was deceased with wounds, which appeared to have been caused with an edged weapon. Also in the room was male, later identified as Ethan, and he was found with wounds later determined by the medical examiner to be caused by sharp forced injuries. So they were stabbed, obviously, as Mm -hmm. we know. So then they moved their way up to the third floor and says the bedroom on the west side of the floor was later determined to be Kaylee's. He said there was a dog in the room when the MPD got there and the dog belonged to Kaylee and her ex-boyfriend, Jack. And he says, I found out from my interview with Jack on November 13th, 2022, that he and Kaylee shared the dog. Officer Smith pointed out a small bedroom on the east side on the third floor. The bathroom shared a wall with Madison, 
her bedroom, and that was situated on the southeast corner of the third floor. He stated as they went into this room, they could see two females in the single bed of the room. Both were deceased with visible stab wounds, and he says, later I noticed what appeared to be a tan leather knife sheath laying on the bed, or on the bed next to Mogan's right side when viewed from the front door. The sheath was later processed and has Kabar USMC and the Marine Corps' Eagle Globe and Anchor, like the little symbol, on Mm. the outside of it. And the Idaho State Lab later located a single source of male DNA, which is the man we have obviously been reading about, on the button snap of the knife sheath. So like the tiniest part of this fucking thing. So it goes on to say that they did numerous interviews by MPD, the Idaho State Police, and the FBI. They all interviewed multiple times the other two roommates, Bethany and Dylan. And they were they were there at the time of the murders. And that Bethany's bedroom was located on the east side of the first floor of the residence. And basically, he has his findings. And he says, on the evening of November 12th, 2022, Chapin and Kernodal were seen by Bethany at Sigma Chi House on the University of Idaho campus at 735 Nez Perce Drive from approximately 9 p.m. until 145 a.m. So the next morning and putting us into the 13th. Bethany also estimated that approximately 1.45, the two returned to the residence. And she also stated that Ethan didn't live there, but was Xana's guest. Mm -hmm. So the other two girls were at a local bar, the Corner Club at 202 North Main Street in Moscow. And there's been video footage that has come out. They're talking about that and saying that this was provided by Corner Club between 10 p.m. to 1.30 a.m., at approximately 1.30 a.m., the two can be seen on video at a local food vendor called The Grub Truck, and they live stream videos from their food truck on Twitch, which is available for public viewing on their website. And obviously, law enforcement looked at this, and a private party reported that he provided a ride to the two girls at 1.56 a.m. There was like an Uber situation or something for that. Now, Dylan and Bethany both made statements during interviews that indicated the occupants at the residence were home by 2 a.m. or asleep or at least in their rooms by 4 a.m. This was the exception of Xana, who received a DoorDash order at the residence around this time. And they checked and they looked into that and everything like that. Dylan stated she originally went to sleep in her bedroom on the southeast side of the second floor. Dylan stated she was awoken at approximately 4 a.m. by what she stated sounded like Kaylee playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms, which was located on the third floor. Shortly later, Dylan stated that she heard who she thought was Kaylee say something to the effort of there's someone here. A review of records obtained from a forensic download of Xana's phone to show that this could have been Xana as her cellular phone indicated she was likely awake and using the TikTok app at approximately 4.12 a.m. Dylan stated she looked out of her bedroom but did not see anything when she heard the comment about someone being in the house. Dylan stated she opened her door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Xana's room. Dylan then said she heard a male voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. At approximately 4.17 a.m., a security camera located 
at 1112 King Road, a residence immediately to the northwest of 1122, picked up distorted audio of what sounded like voices or a whimper followed by a loud thud. A dog can also be heard barking numerous times starting at 4.17 a.m. The security camera is less than 50 feet from the west wall of Zana's bedroom. Oh, shit. Yeah. Dylan stated she opened her door for a third time after she heard the crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. Dylan described the figure as 5'10 or taller, male, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The male walked past Dylan as she stood in a, quote, frozen shock phase. The male walked towards the backsliding glass door. Dylan locked herself in her room after seeing the male. Dylan did not state that she recognized the male. This leads investigators to believe that the murderer left the scene. Now, I have to say something about that. There's been a lot of people today, apparently, that has been victim shaming her for that. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That would be the scariest moment of my life because you don't know if he's coming back. Exactly. And sec- okay, first of all, that. Second of all, nobody can fucking say like anything unless they've been in this situation. Right. Because you don't know what it's like. You don't fucking know. And then lastly, they're college kids. They were very social. They were very involved. Like they had, you know, friends over all the time type of shit. So it was kind of like. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like people were like, didn't she think it was weird or whatever? And it's like, well, yeah, she was scared. First of all, you know what I mean? Like, Jesus, fuck. Yeah. It just makes me it it just sucks because it's like it's the same thing with that professor. People were coming up with all kinds of theories about the roommates, the ones that are the people that were there Mm -hmm. that lived, you know, and it's just fucking horrible because it's like this is people's real lives. Are you fucking kidding me? Because I can't even imagine, like, probably the survivor guilt. It was their roommates and their friends. Not only the survivor guilt, but, like, he left for that night. He obviously knows where this person lives or might be tracking this individual. And, like, you don't know if this, if he was going to target her. Exactly. It's just, it's mind-blowing that that's been people's response to this. And I'm, I just, I don't don't know that I would do anything different. Right? Like, what the fuck? We taught, like, what is it? Fight, flight, or freeze? Yeah. Fight, flight, or freeze. Freeze is an option because people don't respond to, like, just two things. Like, people literally freeze. I mean, she's very, very lucky that that individual just walked out. Exactly. So the combination of Dylan's statements to law enforcement, reviews of forensic downloads of records from Bethany and her's phone, and a video of a suspect video described below leads investigators to believe that the homicides occurred between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. That's so fast. In and out. It is nuts. It's four people. Yeah. In 25 minutes. I know. It says, during processing of the crime scene, investigators found a latent shoe print. This was located during the second processing of the crime scene by ISP forensic team by first using a presumptive blood test and then amino black a protein stain that detects the presence of cellular material. The detected shoe print showed a diamond-shaped pattern similar to the pattern of Van's type of sole just outside of the door of Dylan's bedroom located on the second floor. This is consistent with Dylan's statements regarding the suspect's path of travel. The next thing they did was video canvas. This was to obtain any footage from the early morning hours of the 13th in the area and surrounding neighborhoods in effort to locate 
the suspect or suspect's vehicle traveling to and leaving from the residence. The video canvas resulted in a collection of numerous surveillance videos in the area from both residential and business addresses. He stated, I have reviewed numerous videos that were collected and have conversations with other MPD officers, detectives, and FBI agents that are similarly reviewing footage that was obtained. A review of camera footage indicated that a white sedan, hereafter suspect vehicle one, was observed traveling westbound in the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive at approximately 3.26 a.m. and westbound on Steiner Avenue in Idaho State Highway 95 in Moscow at approximately 3.28 a.m. And on this video, it appeared that the vehicle was not displaying a front license plate. Review of footage from multiple videos obtained from the neighborhood showed signs of or showed sightings of suspect vehicle one at 3.29 a.m. and ending at 4.20. These sightings show that the vehicle makes an initial three passes by 1122 King Road residence and then leave via Walenta Drive. Based off my experience as a patrol officer, this is a residential neighborhood and a very limited number of vehicles that travel in the area during the early morning hours. Upon review of the video, there's only a few cars that enter and exit this area during this time frame. Suspect vehicle one can be seen entering the area a fourth time at 4.04 a.m. and can be seen driving eastbound on King Road, stopping and turning around in front of 500 Queen Road number 52 and then driving back onto King Road. And when the suspect's vehicle is in front of King Road residence, it appears that it unsuccessfully, (laughs) he couldn't fucking park, unsuccessfully attempt to park or turn around in the road. The vehicle then continued to the intersection of Queen Road and King Road, where it can be seen completing a three-point turn, then driving eastbound down Queen Road. So basically, like, he's just going, he's just, like, wasting time, it sounds like. Getting the courage, it seems like it's, like, getting the courage to get out. Yeah, exactly. And then it says the vehicle's next scene departing the area of King Road residence at approximately 4.20 a.m. at a high rate of speed. So leaving the crime scene. So really, that's less than 16 minutes. Yeah. Fuck. Mm-hmm. They also state, I believe that suspect vehicle one likely exited the neighborhood at Palouse River Drive and a different road, like just talking about the roads and stuff, and eventually gets on to Whitman County, Washington, and then gets to Pullman, Washington. So he, like, it's not very far, but he crosses the border into Washington, which is only, oh, it says literally 10 miles from Moscow. And it says both Pullman and Moscow are small college towns and people commonly go back and forth. So law enforcement officers provided video footage of the vehicle to forensics with the FBI So they could take a look at that. And basically, the forensic examiner has 35 years of law enforcement experience. So like they were bringing in big ass people and 12 years at the FBI, bringing in very experienced people. That's good, though. Yes. So they like reviewed all the things and they believed that suspect vehicle one was a 2011 to 2013 Hyundai Elantra. But then they were like, no, 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 let's open it up to like 2016. And after that, they basically started looking at who owned these Elantras then. Well, investigators were given access to the footage at Washington State University, the campus there in Pullman, Washington. 
And a review of that video indicated that approximately 2.44 a.m. on November 13, 2022, a white sedan, which was consistent with the description of a white Elantra, a.k.a. suspect vehicle one, was observed on the surveillance cameras traveling north on Southeast Nevada Street at Northeast Stadium Way. At approximately 2.53 a.m., it's seen driving more. And wouldn't you know where it's going? It says southeast on Nevada Street in Pullman, Washington towards SR-270. SR-270 connects Pullman, Washington to Moscow, Idaho. So this is their car. And then at 5.25 a.m., this vehicle was observed on five cameras in Pullman, Washington and on a WSU campus cameras. So they saw it come back. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So much traveling. Yep. And on November 25th, MPD asked area law enforcement agencies to be on the lookout for white Hyundai Elantras in the area. And on November 29th, at approximately 1228 a.m., WSU police officer Daniel Tango queried white Elantras registered at the college. And when he looked it up, he found a 2015 Elantra with Pennsylvania license plates. And this vehicle was registered to the man that was arrested, Brian Koberger. And, you know, pulled up his address there and everything else. And it said he lived approximately three quarters of a mile from the intersection of Stadium Way and Cougar Way. The last camera location the vehicle was picked up on, on camera. So it says the same day. WSU officer Curtis Whitman went looking, you know, for Elantras. And wouldn't you know, they roll up to this apartment complex and they see it and they run the plates and it comes back to Brian. And this license indicated that he is a white male with the height of six feet and weighs 185 pounds. Additionally, the photograph of Koberger shows that he has bushy eyebrows. Koberger's physical description is consistent with the description of the male Dylan saw inside the King Road residence on November 13th. Further investigation included a review of Sheriff Deputy's Corporal Duke's body cam and reports showed that on August 21st, 2022, Brian Koberg was detained as a part of a traffic stop that occurred in Moscow, Idaho by Corporal Duke. At the time, Koberger, who was the sole occupant, was driving a white 2015 Elantra with Pennsylvania plates that match up exactly, and it was set to expire on November 30th, 2022. During the stop, which was recorded via law enforcement body cam, he provided his phone number, and they have it in there, and they obviously redacted it, which later on, when they say phone 8458, that's his cell phone. And basically, they were like, let's pull the phone records so they get that shit from AT&T. And so on November 18th, according to the Washington State Licensing, he registered the car with Washington plates. And obviously, prior to this, he had the Pennsylvania ones. But keep in mind, this is now after the crimes have occurred that he's switching. That makes sense. It makes sense why you would try to do that like afterwards. Yes. Prior to that, though, apparently, Pennsylvania doesn't require a a front plate. That's what they put in here. They said, This was learned through communications with a Pennsylvania officer who is currently certified in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm like, that's redundant. But he said, based on my own experience and communication with Washington law enforcement, I know that Idaho and Washington both require front and back license plates to be displayed. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lo- most states do. Yeah. So, okay. So next part. Investigators believe that Koberger is still driving the 2015 Elantra because his vehicle was captured on December 13th by a license plate reader in Loma, Colorado, information provided by a query to a database. His Elantra was then searched on November, or not November, December 15th, 2022, by law enforcement in Hancock County, Indiana. On December 16th, at approximately 2.26 p.m., surveillance video shows that his Elantra was in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. The sole occupant of the vehicle was a white male whose description was consistent with Koberger. Koberger has family in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, learned through ATLO search and locate tool database search, his parents. And it says, based on the information on the WSU website, he is currently a PhD student in criminology at Washington State University. They learned that his past education included undergraduate degrees in psychology and cloud-based forensics. These records showed Koberger wrote an essay where he applied when he applied for an internship at the Pullman Police Department in the fall of 2022. Mm, dumb. Just dumb. <sighs> Just fucking yeah. dumb. Just fucking mm-hmm. dumb. Sorry. 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 No, you're fine. Koberger wrote in his essay that he had interest in assisting rural law enforcement agencies with how to better collect and analyze technological data in public safety operations. Koberger also posted a Reddit survey, which can be found by an open and like you literally look it up. It'll come right up. Open source Internet search. The survey asked for participants to provide information to, quote, understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision making when committing a crime, end quote. As part of this investigation, law enforcement obtained search warrants to determine cellular devices that utilize cellular towers in close proximity to the residents. Yeah, if you haven't looked up that Reddit thing, though, like definitely do. It's really creepy. It's like basically him asking like how people felt during crimes and all this other stuff. And it's yeah. So the affidavit can confirms that he did do that because there was speculation if like he actually did post that on there. but. Here we are. That's crazy. Yeah. So it says, basically, after determining that Koberger was associated to both the Elantra and the 8458 phone number, investigators reviewed these search warrant returns. Of the search of the 8458 phone and these returns did not show that phone using the cell tower resources in close proximity to the residents between 3 and 5 a.m., He states, based on my training, experience, and conversations with law enforcement officers that specialize in the utilization of cellular telephone records as part of investigations, individuals can either leave their phone at a different location before committing a crime or turning it off prior to going to a location to commit a crime. Ding, ding, ding. Mm -hmm. This is done by subjects in an effort to avoid alerting law enforcement that a cellular device associated with them is in a particular area where the crime is committed. I mean, all you have to do is listen to our podcast. We talk about that all the time. Like, if you're going to commit a crime, <laughs> don't right? take your phone. Mm-hmm. But don't commit crimes. No, don't do those. He stated, I also know that on numerous occasions, subjects will surveil an area where they intend to commit a crime prior to the date of the crime. Depending on the circumstances, this could be done a few days before or several months prior to the commission of the crime. During these types of surveillance, it is possible that an individual would not leave their cell phone at a separate location or turn it off since they don't plan to commit the offense on that particular day. 
On December 23rd, 2022, I applied for and was granted a search warrant for historical phone records between November 12th at 12 a.m. and November 14th at 12 a.m. for the 4858 phone held by the provider AT&T. So they got that. And it says these records indicated that the 8458 phone is subscribed to Brian Koberger at his parents, I'm assuming, address in Albertsville, Pennsylvania. And that account has been open since June 23rd, 2022. And after this, it's, he stated, I consulted with the FBI special agent that is certified as a member of Cellular Analyst Survey Team, CAST. The member of CAST are certified with the FBI to provide expert testimony in the field of historical CSLI and are required to pass extensive training that include both written and practical examinations prior to being certified. So like, this dude's covering all his fucking bases. I'm like, yes, get it, get it. Yeah. Okay, so it says on November 13th at 2.42 a.m., the phone was utilizing a tower that provides coverage to 1630 Northeast Valley Road Apartment G201 in Pullman, Washington, which is his house. And at approximately 2.47, it started moving to another tower and traveling through Pullman. This is consistent with the movement of the Elantra. So everything's fucking connecting. And at approximately 2.47 a.m., the phone stops reporting to the network, which means he's probably turned and says that he's either lost service or it turned off. And it doesn't come back onto the network until 4.48 a.m. And basically, it's traveling the same way the car went. You guys can't see. I'm shaking my head. (laughs) (laughs) And wouldn't you know, it makes all the way back to exactly where he was. But then they flash forward a couple hours to 9 a.m. after this crime's happened, right? The phone is pinging traveling back to Moscow. And it pings at the tower that provides coverage to where the house is between 9.12 and 9.21 a.m. He went fucking back. Oh, my of course he did. gosh. And then he goes home and it says that his phone pinged back to his residence at 9.32 a.m. Jesus Christ. Investigators found that the phone did connect to a cell tower that provided service to Moscow on November 14th. But investigators do not believe that the phone was there on that day because it didn't connect to any other towers since then. And he also states that based on my training experience and the facts of the investigation, I believe Koberger, the user of phone 8458, was likely the driver of the Elantra. And he goes on to talk about all the stuff like being parallel, like all the times and everything. So they're doing all this behind the scenes because that's something also that like also made me upset too was people were like, oh my God, they're doing nothing. They're not telling us anything, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, because look what they're doing. They're trying to have proof that it's all connected to him. <laughs> like, they ain't gonna put that out there. Right. <laughs> what the fuck? People forget that, that they have to keep stuff to the fucking chest until they fucking get them. It could ruin everything. Right. We're nosy people, because, like, I can honestly say that we're nosy about true crime, because we literally have a podcast yeah. about true crime, so we want to know details, yeah. but, yeah, like, yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, let the police have their details, because that one thing could literally convict someone. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So then it jumps to December 23rd of 2022. He states, I was granted a search warrant for Koberger's historical 
CSLI from June 23rd to current. So the cell phone stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They did all of this to aid efforts to determine if he stalked any of the victims in this case prior to the offense, conducted surveillance on the residents, was in contact with any of the victims associated or of the victim's associates before or after the alleged offense, any locations that may contain evidence of the murders that occurred on November 13th. The location of the white Elantra registered to Koberger, as well as the location of him. So they got all that stuff from AT&T, and then, you know, they had to get that all approved, blah, blah, blah. So he states, I was able to determine estimated locations for the phone from June 22 to present, the time period authorized by the court. The records for the 8458 phone show that it was utilizing cellular resources that provided coverage to the area of 1122 King Road on at least 12 occasions prior to November 13th. All of these occasions, except for one, occurred in the late evening and early morning hours of their respective days. So he was stalking them. Yeah, pretty much. One of these occasions on October 21st, 2022, the 8458 phone utilized cellular resources providing coverage to the King Road residents from approximately 10.34 p.m. to 11.35 p.m. At approximately 11.37, Koberger was stopped by a sheriff deputy, Corporal Duke, as mentioned above. The phone was utilizing cellular resources consistent with the location of the traffic stop during this time, a farm road in Pullman Highway. And then basically, they also pulled more data. And it says basically everything from November 13th, consistent with the phone traveling from Pullman, Washington to Lewiston, Idaho via US Highway 195. At approximately 12.36 p.m., the phone utilized cellular resources that would provide coverage to Kate's Cup of Joe coffee stand located at 810 Point Drive, Clarkston, Washington. So surveillance footage from the U.S. Chef's store located at 820 Port Drive, Clarkston, Washington, and adjacent to Kate's Cup of Joe showed a white Elantra consistent with suspect vehicle one driving past when the cell phone was. Everything's lining up for these guys. Everything's fucking lining up. And then they also, it states that at 12.47 p.m., he's at a grocery store and it shows him coming out of the Elantra. So like they actually get him on camera. He does go into the store and purchases unknown items at the checkout and leaves at 1.04 p.m. And I will say also, if you guys pull these up, basically it also has like maps and stuff too of everything. So... Basically, it says additional analysis of records from the phone indicated that between approximately 5.32 p.m. and 5.36 p.m., the phone utilized resources that provide coverage to Johnson, Idaho. And then it stopped reporting at the network at approximately 5.36 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. So he turned it off, I guess. It says that is consistent with the phone being in the area that the phone traveled in the hours immediately following the suspected time of the ho- that the homicides occurred. And then, yay DNA. So on December 27th, 2022, Pennsylvania agents recovered the trash from the Koberger family residence in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, and that was sent to the Idaho State Lab for testing. And the next day, the Idaho State Lab reported the DNA profile obtained from the trash and the DNA profile obtained from the sheath identified a male 
as not being excluded as the biological father of suspect profile at at least 99.9998%. Damn. Yes. So basically, they're like, the DNA on that button on the sheath is the son of the dad. And who's his son? Brian. All of that. Then they go arrest him. Okay. I know that was a lot of info, but honestly, with how like crazy the rumors and shit and misinformation that's out there, the affidavit's literally the way to go. Like any of those court documents is the fucking way to go. So basically now he he was being held and he waived the extradition hearing or whatever, because basically he needed to get back to Idaho because he's given the affidavit, which we just read because he had been served it because that's Idaho law, right? Mm-hmm. So he's back. And then he is supposed to have his preliminary hearing next Thursday, the 12th at 10 a.m. And then I get or no, he has a status hearing to see if he will get a preliminary hearing. Excuse me. And that's kind of where we're at with that. Now, it's interesting because basically his attitude has been like his lawyer put out a statement being like he wants to get back to Idaho so he can clear this up. There's no clearing it up when your fucking DNA is on the sheath that probably was the murder weapon. Just saying. Yeah, this isn't one of those like random things where like someone bought your sheath, dude. So yeah, that is like what that is just like so crazy to me. And it's interesting because there's a lot of parallels with other previous killers. So it's just very unnerving. I think it's also very unnerving that it's happening right now. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. So it just makes it extra scary. But I feel like with us being able to read the affidavit, it just shows that I don't understand why people do these things. You know what I mean? You're going to get fucking caught. They obviously knew for quite a while who it was. They just had to have the evidence for the fucking arrest. Yeah. So he is facing four charges of murder in the first degree. And he's also facing a a felony burglary charge as well. And he has no bail. Because, of course, when he got to Idaho today, they were trying to get him bail and that was denied. I'm really sorry, but like if you are literally being charged with murder, you don't get bail. No. Like, what the fuck? This isn't a blue or like a white collar crime. This Four counts of first degree fucking murder. Are you kidding? Right. Homie, you're going nowhere. (laughs) You don't deserve you don't deserve bail. You don't deserve a bail rig, really. No, for fuck's I mean, sake. Granted, you are an American citizen, so you have a right to it, but you know. He don't deserve it. It's my personal opinion. Yeah, that's my personal opinion on that. Yeah, that's our personal opinion. <laughs> so yeah, with that, that's kind of where we're at right now with this case. We will stay up to date on it. Updates might be a little bit delayed because as you guys know, I am moving and I'm literally in my Airbnb. All my stuff is already all out of here. <laughs> So I'm not even in my house anymore. But yeah, we will definitely have an updated episode to kind of keep you up to date on this. Let us know if you guys like when we cover these kind of like ongoing, like in real time ones, because we'll absolutely do them more often if that's the case. But anyways, well, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up and we'll see you back here on Thursday. Bye. Bye, guys.